you know, people think of marketers as these creative people with beards and um, riding a scooter around a, uh, a loft or something like that. But um, <laughs> really, um, I think marketing is is a nerdy field um, more than it is a, a creative field. I mean, yes, there's definitely a creative element for sure. But um, I, I think the, um, the process-driven element trumps the, the creative element. Hey everybody and welcome to Conversations with Bacon. I hope you're all safe and well wherever you may be. As usual, don't forget to go and check out my book, People Powered, How Communities Can Supercharge Your Business Brand and Teams by HarperCollins. It's out right now. But let's get to more pressing and more important matters, which of course is my wonderful guest today, Alan Dibb. How are you doing, Alan? Hey, Jono. Wonderful to be on. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to have you here. I'm a bit of a fanboy and we'll get into that in a <laughs> But as a little bit of background for people who don't know you, you are the author, the best-selling author of the One Page Marketing Plan, um, and you're you're a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, and you're also the managing dictator, as you say, <laughs> of SuccessWise, um, where you coach uh, owners and entrepreneurs to how to build their in-house marketing capabilities. You are very much a marketing expert, I think it is safe to say. Um, now, I read your book about three or four months ago, um, you know, as a little bit of background, you know, I've been working and building communities for many years, um, but I've been getting very, very interested in the digital market inside of things. Um, and I, I reached out to a friend of mine and I said, where do I, what's the first book I read on this? And they very quickly said, you got to go and read the one page marketing plan. Um, so I went and grabbed the book, really liked it. It's a good, interesting read. It's, it's concise. It's very practical. But what's the tell me your background like what's the genesis behind you how did you get into this world well uh i started my business life as a dead broke it geek and like many um <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that really is is it i'm not someone from a marketing background or from a very creative background um you know i started uh with the necessity of how do i get clients in the door you know i was good at what i did i was good at the tech stuff you know i was crawling under desks connecting up computers and all of that sort of thing so you were like a like a contractor for you know people's IT issues. Yeah, that kind of exactly, exactly. Right. We we were their outsourced IT department, and um, and yeah, so we we did server support, desktop support, all of that sort of thing. Um, Microsoft kept us in business <laughs> for a, for, right, a, for a long time with all of their bugs and things like that. Um, but um, really, my my biggest issue, and I distinctly re recall this conversation with my business partner at the time. I said, "Hey, we've got a great business. We've got good." margins our customers uh, love us but uh, so we've got the kind of the major thing sorted out and then this is minor thing called sales and marketing if we just knock that out then then we'll have a really great business and little, easy <laughs> easy right you know <laughs> so um, <laughs> and i see this all the time where business owners kind of mix up major and minor they think the product or service they deliver is the major thing and then the sales and marketing of it that's like this little minor thing that they need to get sorted out and <laughs> and so little little did I know that this would take me on a decade long journey to to learn marketing um and like I said by necessity because we had clients who really loved us we just didn't have enough of them and so uh, I went to every seminar I worked with coaches 
I read every book and really, um, long story short, um, I got value from everything. Like I'll, I'll get an idea or a concept or uh, something that I can implement for, from everything. It was great. I'm not minimizing any of that. But there was nothing out there that really gave me a holistic uh, start to end overview of how to do marketing. And so really, I wrote the book that I wish I had at the time. Um, and I think that's why it's resonated with a lot of people, because it's it's a book that assumes nothing. It takes people from zero to marketing hero. And literally, at the beginning of the book, we define what is marketing. So um, so it re- really assumes nothing. And, and I think that's why it's resonated with a lot of people. One of the things I love about your book is that, um, you know, uh, and I'm speaking in this way as as an author is mm. I think many people and I'm sure you're included and I'm included, certainly included here. Uh, you always want to write that career defining book, the book mm. that people will say, you know, yeah. this is just a wonderful guide to whatever that particular topic is. Yeah. But sometimes those kinds of books become lofty and it's more about in some cases, a cynical view would be those kinds of books are there to impress the author's peers. One of the things I like about your book is that it's by no means a dummies kind of guide, Yes, but it, it, it really does resonate with, I think what most people who, who, who need to do marketing are looking for when you were writing it. Do you think that, do you think the fact that you'd come from that background, that that was, you were aware of that, did that have a large impact in the, the tonality and the approach to it? Yeah, I, I think that made a very, very big difference. And, you know, when when I wrote it, I wrote it in very simple, colloquial language. I didn't use uh, weird phrases and uh, try to make myself look very clever and all of that sort of thing and academic, um, which I think a lot of authors do, maybe, maybe on purpose, maybe not on purpose. I don't know why, but I wanted the average person. Uh, person to be able to read it and understand it. I wanted a, a 12 or 14 year old to be able to pick it up and, and read it and understand it. And that's, that was really my, my aim. And so I, I left out any, you know, crazy, weird concepts or metaphors or things like that. And I just talked about <laughs> things that, that people could just understand. Yeah. It seems like there's a, there's a, a trend with <clears throat> frankly, most books I think of every everything needs to have a description or a name mm. like the, there's a everything's a model or a yes. framework right yes and i and I, I like the fact that you know you really kind of delve into just really getting the key concepts over but going back to when you were figuring this kind of stuff out yourself because some people who are listening to this now will have uh, maybe now in the position that you were in back then um what would you what do you remember as being one of the biggest struggles with kind of picking this stuff up like because marketing is a complicated science especially i would say direct response marketing mm. and wiring together these sales funnels there's a lot involved in that what would you say was the most the thing well, you struggle with the most well m- my biggest struggle and i'll tell you the the turning point that i had is um you know I, i'm like you know i've got a great product i've got a great service my clients love me What's the problem? I'm a nice guy. Why aren't people buying from me? You know, because we're we're often told build it and they will come, right? So create a, <laughs> you know, create a great product and people will flock to flock to you. And people weren't flocking to me. In fact, quite the opposite. I, I saw my competitors who sometimes hired us to teach them the latest technical uh, technical <laughs> techniques, and they were running rings around us financially. So they were. They were worse than us, but that financially they were doing far, far better. And like you know, there's 
there's nothing more frustrating, I think, when people who are dumber than you make more money than you, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> so, um, Sing it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, that was a real, real frustration. And, um, and I, I was talking to a mentor of mine at the time, and he was a pretty successful businessman and, and marketer himself. And he said, well, when do people find out that you have a good product or service? And I said, well, obviously, when, when they dealt with us. And he said, well, before they buy, they only know how good your marketing is. And so your job is to be the best marketer at what you do. So that, for me, was a turning point uh, to, to really thinking, hey, I'm not just an IT guy. I'm a marketer of IT services. And that's what really makes the difference. Yeah. Do you think that the <clears throat> IT mindset helped here? I, I don't mean in terms of necessarily picking up the, the tools that you use in marketing, but one of the things you talk about in the book is is you're is building this machine like you're yes. building a marketing yes, machine exactly. and if you invest in in wiring this machine up which exactly. can take a lot of work exactly um you're gonna you're gonna reap the benefits from this later on but i would imagine because i come from a tech back background too yeah. um, specifically open source oh, nice. i tend to think in terms of systems yes so do you think that that helped with that kind of wiring up v- v- very much so because uh, and you know you being a tech geek we're we're very uh, logical and process driven and and we we like to follow a, a formula that that we know works um you know as a tech you know as a tech geek i didn't understand concepts like what is a purple cow and all of this sort of stuff you know i mean i get i get the concept i'm i'm sort of exaggerating a little bit here but really it's like step one do this step two do this and you know you coming from the open source world you'll know um uh, you, you'll know Linux, and you'll know that there, there's a there's a uh, system called Cron, you know, which is basically what tell, tells the computer what to do, you know, every minute, every day, every week, every month, and all of that. And I started thinking of marketing from that perspective. What do I need to do daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly to to win at marketing? Because I found they're the people who win at marketing, the people who do the small things daily, weekly, monthly, rather than the people who do the big splash as a one-off event. Um, yeah. And yeah. so that, that's that's the sort of thinking that I had. And um, so I started thinking about processes. So thinking of marketing as a process rather than an event. Um, also thinking about uh, marketing uh, in terms of, you know, how can I make this replicable so I don't need to be a creative genius to to win at this? Yeah, yeah. So was a lot of this, as you were kind of going through this, I'm, assu- I'm assuming that you were figuring out, okay, <clears throat> how do I build my playbook for yes. when I'm going to launch a new product or if I, you know, if I'm going to enter into a new market, right? Yeah, uh, th- that as well. But also just how do I... Um, uh, how do I take people from being vaguely interested to becoming a, a buyer? And then how do I take a buyer to becoming a, a raving fan who, who refers new business? Because um, we would have conversations with people who are you know, vaguely interested in w- what we had to offer, but they just didn't convert. So, um, so I'm like... What what is going on? What am I doing wrong? I I'm a nice guy. I I I've got good products and services. Why do they inquire and then buy from somebody else? You know, so um, really thinking through all all of those things. Thinking, you know, at the time, uh, SEO was a much younger kind of uh, game, and so figuring out what could we do from an SEO perspective, figuring out pay-per-click advertising and what worked and what didn't work, and 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 all around 
you know, learning this framework of direct response marketing, which, you know, it, it is, I think, more of a, I mean, yes, there's a definitely a creative side, but there's certainly a, a technical and scientific uh, side to it as well. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. That's one of the things that I've enjoyed about kind of experimenting with this is, is it, it is weaving together like all of these different systems from how do you do, you know, Facebook ads and then what do you offer people as a lead magnet and then yes. how do you nurture them via email and then the amount of analytics and the evaluation yes. of those, of that data and yes. what that data means and reading from that data. Exactly. It, it, it's, it's a very nerdy very interesting science. Um, it is. And, I, I, uh, I often tell, tell people that, mar- you know, people think of marketers as these creative people with beards and um, riding a scooter <laughs> around a, uh, a loft or something <laughs> like that. But um, <laughs> really, um, I think marketing is is a nerdy field um, more than it is a, a creative field. I mean, yes, there's definitely a creative element for sure. But um, I, I think the um the process driven element trumps the the creative element yeah no i i agree i agree with you so <clears throat> what would you say you know you said you know people were 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 kind of getting interested and then they wouldn't buy from your experience of you know as as a coach and just your, your yourself what would you say the the main reasons why people don't buy you know is it well, is it copy well, is it the product what is it well, a, a lot, you know, a lot of times um, people are, uh, maybe have got a different agenda to what you think they have. So that it can be, hey, they're just price shopping. Hey, it's a competitor who, who's shopping. But I mean, those those aside, what we find is that uh, if we took your whole target market, there will be about three percent of them who are ready to buy today, ready to make a purchasing t- decision today, um, and that's what—that's who everybody is competing for. That, that's who everyone's paying pay-per-click ads for. That's who everyone uh, wants to d- create a proposal for. They're telling them to click the buy button and, and all that. And that's totally fine. But what we find there's another seven percent who are very open to buying. So maybe they need some questions answered. Maybe they need to be led a little bit. And then there are a further thirty percent who are. Very, who are interested, but not right now. So maybe they're interested in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, a year, two years time. I, I had someone who signed up for my coaching program and I said, how long have you been on my mailing list? And he said, two years. And, and so and so, if two years ago I said, hey, um, he's a tie kicker, he's not interested in buying right now, that would have been a lost opportunity. And I would say the vast majority of people who buy from me right now, whether they buy my course, my coaching, my book, whatever, um, they didn't just wake up that morning and decide to make a purchasing decision. They they were on my list. Maybe they were following me. Maybe they heard me on the podcast. You nurtured well, them, right? Exactly, yeah. nurturing them. So, uh, And I think the mistake I was certainly making at the time and the, the mistake many people make is they think that somebody putting their hand up and asking for information is somebody who's ready to buy today. And like I said, maybe 3% of them are, but the vast majority need to go through an education process, through a nurturing process. You need to build authority. Um, Too many times we just kind of go for the jugular and try to close the sale. And, you know, it's part of the sort of 80s culture of selling which is abc always be closing or you know all yeah, of the weird, yeah, weird, yeah. weird close techniques and all of that sort of stuff um so uh, I, I think a lot of 
a lot of selling right now is much more around nurturing, much more around positioning, uh, much more about demonstrating you're you're an authority, creating value in advance, and that's something that a lot of people don't do. It's certainly something that I I didn't do at the time. I I was trying to get them, shoehorn them into getting a proposal as soon as possible and signing off as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. One one thing that's been fascinating to me, and I've I've mentioned this on a couple of uh, previous podcasts here, is since I've been reading about all of this marketing stuff, and I, I have the kind of personality, and I get the impression that you do too, Alan, where when I get interested in something, down the rabbit hole I go. Yes. It's just like I'm just obsessed yeah. about learning everything that I can, watching videos, reading books, you know, asking people questions. Um, so, you know, in addition to reading your book, I've read a whole bunch of other books from some other people, um, some of which shall not be named. <laughs> and some of these marketing, I guess you could say marketing gurus, um, their approaches can be at times very aggressive mm. and there's no doubt that the tactics work. Yes. And one of the things I found refreshing about your book and, and admittedly, I read your book first, mm-hmm. I think when I started getting into this world mm-hmm. was that you're not aggressive. You're not, you're not delving into these insane sensationalist yes. headlines. Yes. I had a, a guy called Mike Dillard on the podcast a couple of episodes back and, and he was saying, you know, these, there's there's varying degrees of this with all marketers, but you know a lot of the short the short term sensationalist headlines, they're a short term benefit, but they don't have the long term benefits of the of the of the relationship. What do you think of a lot of those? I'm not asking you to dig into names. If you want to, it'll be fun. But what do you think <laughs> of these other kind of marketing gurus and these? really kind of like aggressive techniques. That yeah, sort of I, I, I'm, I'm on all the same mailing list as you are. And a lot of times, you, you know, you, <laughs> you, you do want to go have a shower with a steel brush after reading some of these uh, <laughs> uh, right. uh, emails, you know, for sure. Um, look, I've always been of the view, and it served me well, that you want a customer for life. So yes, we can be pushy. And yes, we'll probably get more business over the line and, and um, you know, use some of these techniques and, and go over the top. But my view is uh, I want a customer for life, somebody who's not going to regret purchasing from me because people who regret purchasing uh, from you uh, create refunds, they create support issues, they create reputational issues, they write bad reviews. Um, And so for me, um, you know, it's been a real source of pride that I've had clients follow me from business to business to business, even though that that they're they're different businesses. Um, Like my first business was in IT, my second was in telecom. Now I'm in marketing and, you know, I've had clients follow me because they know that they're always going to get taken care of. They, they're always going to get good value. And it's come to the point where they're like, I don't care what you're selling, just sell it to me because I know I'm going to get, get value. And so creating that kind of trust um, is something that that's really, really valuable. It means that you can start a new venture, launch a new product or whatever else. And you've already got a captive audience that knows you, likes you and trusts you. And, you know, as long as you keep delivering on that, um, uh, they'll, they will follow you. So um, to me, that's more valuable than just a quick short-term gain and then trashing my reputation and and having all sorts of um, issues uh, that go along with that. It it seems to me that they're just, at least in my head, there is, there's a little spidey sense that goes off Mm. when, when you see some of these headlines or some of these techniques. And it, it surprises me at times 
that other people don't have the same little spidey sense go off. I'll give you an example, and I'm, this person shall remain anonymous. Mm. Um, but I was watching um, a training video by a, a fairly well-known marketeer yeah. who was talking about how you add value to products. If you go and buy a product, uh-huh. let's say it's a bottle of hand sanitizer and uh-huh. it costs you $2 uh-huh. and you want to sell it for $30, then you can bundle in all kinds of extra stuff. And the uh-huh. example, he gave two examples, which I thought were interesting. One was, it was maybe I can provide the phone numbers of famous people I know, mm-hmm. which I thought mm-hmm. was interesting because first of all, I would imagine, first of all, uh, I'm not sure how many famous people he knows, but secondly, yeah. if, if he goes around handing out people's phone numbers, it's going <laughs> to piss off all of those famous people. Yes. Um, but the second example was he, he used, he was talking about how you could go to project Gutenberg and download out of copyright works and then repackage them and include them and then say, you know, this is an extra 20 or $30 worth of value to get the value up. And the first thing that I thought when I saw that was, sure, you can do that, but mm. that's wrong. You know, yes. it's, that's not adding value. That's finding a method of inflating the number. Yes. And I think what's so fascinating about, so fascinating about this world is many of these techniques no doubt work but it's the application of those techniques yes um and i'm just curious to get your thoughts on that kind of integrity because you know from everything i've seen about you 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 have impeccable integrity when it comes to the work that you do and douglas bird from the uh marketing book podcast who introduced us he said the same thing about you but, but what do you think's going on with some of the folks who don't who don't seem to have that integrity? Do you think it's just that they're just focused on the dollar sign, or do you think there's something else going on? Yeah, I, I think I think it's it's a focus on short term gain, and um, it, well, we see it in the corporate world all the time, where you know the CEOs will will do everything they can to make this quarter look good, and screw what happens to the company over a year, two years, or whatever, and they've parachuted out with their with their bonus i think um short-term thinking is something that's really been uh, affecting um the business world and the corporate world uh for the last few decades and and i think it's it's really tragic you know there are some great businesses that have been destroyed by short-term thinking um and and yeah it's it's a shame and and i think um you're right uh, uh, my team and i have focused on uh you know always having very high integrity um you know we we have an internal policy where if you know somebody requests a refund even if it, it's the reason is just outrageous like you know they you know plainly ripping us off we'll yeah, just honor that. Cheap. yeah yeah being <laughs> cheap or whatever else we, we'll honor that when i'm, I'm not going to argue with someone i don't want i don't want someone's money who's not happy uh, giving it and so I've trained my team that way as well. And, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, if we're kind of skating too close to the edge, my team will even uh, pull, pull me up and, um, you know, because it's it's easy to get overexcited and, and all of that. So creating that company culture where, hey, we've got the clients uh, and prospects interests uh, at heart. And I think that creates a business that long term, I think, what you're putting in the bank reputationally and also revenue wise uh, over the long term is going to be going to far exceed than you know burning your reputation over a series of three or six months or whatever else and and um, and then any searches of you online look really bad any you know you've got all sorts of issues with support and refunds and all of that sort of stuff so um, you know I, I can't think of a single 
scenario when we had uh, someone put in like a credit card dispute or a PayPal dispute or anything like that. You know, we've had a few instances where someone's requested a refund for whatever reason, right or wrong, and we, we've just honoured that and we, we get on with their lives and they get on with their lives and, and it's all good. Yeah, I think that's totally the right way to do it. What do you see as the role of responsibility in terms of setting expectations? Because the other thing that I find fascinating here, and I talked about this again with with Mike Dillard a little bit, was, you know, you get some of these headlines like, you know, you can make $25,000 a week with four hours worth of work. Yes. Um, and the the caveat for those kinds of products is usually in tiny yes small small text uh at the checkout page yes what do you think is i mean there's obviously a there is obviously the far end of the spectrum is going to be make this clear up front in in any of your marketing and then the other end of the spectrum is you don't say anything where on that timeline where on that spectrum do you think you need to be generally look i i i like to be conservative with that We, we recently launched a um uh, a certification program and it would have been easy for us to make income claims because we know most of our the people who are certified will will make a certain amount of income usually six figures some even make seven figures but I don't make I don't make income claims because um, it is dependent on the person implementing. It is dependent on the person's skills. It is dependent on the person actually going in and and executing what what we've told them to do. So uh, we're very careful about making, uh, particularly you know, income claims, claims around what sort of results that they get. And in fact, um, it's funny. Um, uh, I had someone tell me that uh, I'm trying to convince them not not to do stuff. You know, when when I when I get on a discovery call with someone in, in coaching, a typical um, a typical question that I'll have someone who's thinking about joining our coaching program is, you know, how long will I get results and how long will it take to get results? And the answer is, I'm all, always quite conservative with that. You know, I say, look, um, this is this is basically like uh, we become your personal trainer, and like with a normal personal trainer, um, you've got to get on the treadmill, you've got to lift the weights, you've got to do that stuff, and if you don't, you won't get any result. So, you know, <laughs> right. so, so um, it's it's very similar. So I say that the people who do implement, the people who do take this on, they get really good results, and the people who don't, they don't. So uh, I'm very upfront with that. I'm uh, I'm against that kind of, hey, buy this piece of software or buy this course and press one button and you're going to be a multimillionaire. Um, so um, I, I don't think it's honest and I don't think it's it's right and I don't think it's good business either. So it, no, it's, yeah. you know, interestingly, be, being, uh, being honest, having a good reputation, it, it's good business in the long run. Um, I, I, I can't tell you how many times someone has said, look, I bought someone else's um, phony baloney course. I spent $2,000 or I spent whatever amount on a coaching program or an MBA program or whatever, and I got nothing out of it. And, you know, I got more from your, you know, book, which was $10 or, or, yeah, or whatever else exactly. than from that. And, you know, I hear that all the time. Um, so um, I don't want to be one of those people that they mention, hey, I did Alan Dibb's course and it was useless or, or whatever. So <laughs> right. um, that's not a good outcome. No, for it's not a good outcome. outcome. And, and, you know, people do mention names when in those situations. And, um, you know, uh, you know, someone that you create a bad experience for, they'll remember that for a long time. They'll tell a lot of people and, you know, I don't want to. I want the opposite. I want people saying, "Hey, um, I've got massive value from working with Alan, or I've got got massive value from the course, or from whatever else." Do you think some of this? One thing that just struck me is, I mean, <clears throat> you're Australian, 
and yeah. I'm English. And yeah. I wonder whether some of this is somewhat cultural because a lot of these outrageous um, claims and sensationalist headlines, without drawing too many generalizations, yeah. do tend to come from a lot of Americans. Yeah. Um, and, you know, living here in California, there is definitely, obviously, this is a very much of a capitalist society and and, yeah. and a culture of anyone can get out there and make a load of money. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you think that your 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 background living in Australia has influenced this a lot? Yeah, it, I, I think it um, I think it probably does. You know, and you know, in in uh, British culture and Australian culture, we've kind of got that. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, the tall poppy syndrome, right? So yes, you know, yes. If, if you stand out too much, you get cut cut down. Whereas I, I definitely noticed in in America, and when I did my I did a five week um, tour of uh, the United States last year, I did have to change my approach a, a little bit because in the United States, it is much more. Uh, okay to to basically uh big note yourself to to brag a little bit and all, yeah, all get of out there and thing. shout from yeah, the rooftops yeah. <laughs> but but i think uh, uh, i mean in many ways i think it's a good thing as well because they are very much open to kind of hey uh, if you tell someone hey uh, uh you've made a lot of money in the united states they're like ah good on you and how do i get in get in on that whereas in in australia it's kind of like hey you know stop being a show off or or a wanker or whatever you know? <laughs> <laughs> right exactly <laughs> did you um when you were kind of going through this especially coming back from from your it background did you wrestle a little bit with kind of getting out there more? Are, are you like a natural extrovert? Or? I, am not, I am not. I absolutely am not. So, um, uh, you know, for me to uh, to do speaking, to be on camera, I'm an, I'm an introvert. You know, my natural habitat is in, in my office with my computer, with my uh, tech gear and all of that sort of stuff. And so <laughs> for me to get on stage, to get on camera, to get on podcasts, all of that sort of thing, that is not my natural state uh, at all. Um, and so, yes, absolutely. That's something that um, I, I know I, I need to do. I know that it's good for me. And, you know, it's out of my comfort zone. And, you know, I've always found doing things outside of my comfort zone um, pushes me to to become better. And so whenever I'm kind of resistant to something and I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do this, uh, I kind of push myself to just get it you done. You chuck yourself in yeah, <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Well, well, that was one of the things that Mike Dillard talked about was <clears throat> he said he was very um, – very nervous selling to people. Yes. So one of the reasons why he went down the copywriting rabbit hole was he was like, wow, this means I can just, you know, focus on, on writing great sales copy mm. um, and then selling products on the internet. So I don't have to go through that teeth grating experience of getting on a sales call with somebody and kind of yes. talking them th through it. Yes. And the copywriting thing has been re a really interesting angle for me. Um, because uh, with a lot of the marketers that I've talked to, they've pretty much all of them have said the way in which you write copy, the way in which you you sell the product on your website is critical. Mm. What's your What's your take on that? Do you think it's it's like how much would you say the copy on a, on a web page? How critical would you say it is to? you know, to selling the product, or are there other elements that you think are more important? I I, I think. Um... I think it's super critical from the perspective of are you clear and are you telling them what it, what to do now you know the dif the difference between you know amazing copy and average copy is is minor as long as you've covered those things as long as you know as long as you've you know so many times I've visited a website where 
you know, I've spent five minutes and I still can't figure out what this company does, you know. Uh, and so um, a lot of the time they try to be clear, they try to be clever rather than try to be clear. Um, and so being very, very obvious as to what you do, how it makes my life better, what I should do next, um, I think that is the the main thing that you need to sort out uh, on a website. Now, of course, um, a really good, strong copy that takes me through maybe a dual readership path, a call to action, all of those sorts of things is really good. But you know, you can get eighty percent of the result by just doing those those things by being super abundantly clear about here's what I do, here's how it makes your life better, here's what I want you to do next. Um, and so whether, you know, uh, the stuff that I want you to do next might be, you know, add to cart, uh, opt in, buy now, whatever it, whatever it is, but whatever that next step that you want them to take on your website, um, being super, super just you know, clear about that uh, makes a huge difference. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So uh, g- let's get into a, a little bit of the tactics because um, I'd love to kind of, you obviously you talk a lot about this in your book, but um, when we think about a typical sales funnel, mm-hmm. um, often it will start with an ad and mm-hmm. then there'll be some kind of, some kind of value to attract people yeah. to, um, you know, to kind of start learning who you are and what you do. That could be a mm-hmm. webinar. It could be an ebook, something along those lines. Yeah. Just starting with those first two pieces of the funnel what, what do you think are the most critical mistakes that people make when it comes to creating ads? And then what do they point people towards? What do you think? Are yeah, the, critical the, the, the biggest mistake is they're talking about themselves, that how awesome they are, how their grandfather started the business in 1976 and all of that <laughs> sort of stuff. Um, what awards they've won, all of that sort of thing. Um, so, um, and, and you know, that that's all great. Um, but frankly no nobody cares um and so um uh really what you want to be talking about is uh, i think it's gary halbert who said entering entering the conversation that goes on in their mind entry you know what's keeping them up at 3 a.m in the morning what are they uh, what are they worried about and so uh really understanding who your audience is and so you you need to be uh, very clear around who your audience is and if if you're not part or haven't been part of your audience, then you've got quite a bit of research to do. Um, And so uh, entering that conversation that's going on in their mind, what are the problems that they're having right now in their life that you can help them with? And, you know, I've been that business owner who's kind of struggling to get new leads in the door, new clients, who's had a really good product and frustrated. So, you know, I, I can enter that conversation that's going on in their mind pretty well. But if I was entering a new market that I haven't hadn't been part of I, I'd have mm. a, a little bit of work to do to to figure all, all that out so really talking about uh, your prospect talking about the problems that they're having entering that conversation that's going on in their mind and you know a lot of people think um, on a website when they uh, on the about page they think that the about page is about them it's actually about your prospect <laughs> so mm, you really need, yeah. <laughs> you really need to understand that no like I said no one really ca- I mean may, maybe in passing they, they might read it or whatever but no one cares about what university you went to what awards you won what <laughs> what any of that right. stuff is and so 
Yeah, and, and I mean, I did this in my book as well. I mean, the about the author section, it's the last page on the book because I know it's, you know, it's irrelevant to most people. So most people put the, about the author at the start. They tell, they read out all the credentials, how well he's, you know, <laughs> whatever, educated and all of that sort of thing. So um, really, uh, I think the, the biggest mistake people make is talking about themselves and their product uh, rather than the prospect and their problem. So it sounds like because there there is an element, of course, here of of social proof is is making sure that people know that you're qualified to offer advice and guidance or offer a product. It sounds like you're saying people just over index way too much on that piece, yes, as opposed to focusing on what the prospect, uh, what that what exactly. their problem is and what they can solve. Exactly. Um, do you what do you think that you know for kind of cold traffic uh, for people who don't really know you and they don't really know what products you've got and things like that. Do you have a sense of whether how much time they're willing to spend? So for example, one person I was chatting to recently said, you should never do webinars or trainings because asking someone who has no idea who you are and is rel- probably doesn't know really much about the problem that they're trying to solve, but they know they've got a problem, asking them to spend an hour with you is a lot. You should instead ask them to download a an ebook or mm. something else that's valuable. Do you have a sense of the the t- the commitment for people who are pretty cold like that? Well, I I agree with that and I disagree with that um, on a couple of levels. So so it depends how big and urgent a problem that they have right now. So I'll give you an example from my own life. So you know, a year ago, if I saw an ad for um, uh, you know gym equipment or, you know, exercise gear or whatever, or how, how to build muscle or any of those things, I could not care less. Like I would not click on that. I would not be interested in that. Um, would make no difference to me whatsoever. And I wouldn't spend, you know, half a second on, on that. It just wasn't an interest at the time. This year, I've started spending a lot of time losing, uh, losing body fat, building muscle. And so now, um, I'm attending webinars, I'm buying courses, I'm hiring trainers. Um, and so um, I, I, now it's of interest to me. It's a problem that I want to solve. It's something that I that I want to do. Literally yesterday, I started building a um, a power rack in in my my garage. So so I'm going to start start weightlifting. Um, and so all th- those things are now super interesting to me. So if I see an ad or a webinar or whatever telling me how I can uh, build muscle, some of the the better techniques I can use, I'll spend an hour on that. So because that's something. That's a problem I've got right. Yeah. That's a problem I've got right now, and that's that's something I'm interested in. Exactly. So, whereas a year ago I wouldn't have given two hoots about that. I w- would not have even caught my attention. I wouldn't have spent one minute on it. So, um, so it really depends on how uh, urgent the problem is, how big the problem is in in their lives, and and what they want to do to solve it. Well, we're looking forward to the all-new ripped, muscle-bound Alan uh, Dib, everybody. He, he's coming. He's coming. Watch out. He's coming. And ladies he's going to Ladies form an orderly queue, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how would you say from, I guess, from the advertising perspective, I, I guess that, I mean, that makes eminent sense to me, but I guess the challenge there is how do you target the people who are who 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 are currently interested? Do you have any mm. thoughts on 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 that? Well, uh, there's there's a couple of ways. So there are there are um, 
tripwires essentially that tip us off to tell us, hey, somebody's interested. Like, and I'll give you an example. Before I had the book, one of the lead magnets uh, I had was called the business owner's guide. I think it was called the small business owner's guide to getting more clients. Now, you would have to question someone's sanity if they downloaded that and they weren't a business owner who was interested in getting more clients, right? <laughs> so, it, it's, it's a good clue. <laughs> it's a good clue. Yeah. So, so, um, so, and this is where being very, very clear around uh, what what you do and who you do it for is important. And so, being very clear around who your target market is, because a lot of people say, hey, my target market is everyone. I'm a financial advisor. I can help everybody. Or I'm a baker. I can help everybody or, or whatever else. And it's tempting to cast that net wide. But when you do that, you can't create that technique where somebody sees your ad or sees your work and says, hey, that is for me. Um, something too general is just going to fall fall flat. And um, and from that perspective, it's um, it's really, really important to really be super, super targeted around your, your marketing and your target market in particular. It's one of the reasons it's the first step in the one-page marketing plan where we really go deep and define your target market. Do you think, though, that you can um, – do you think you can – do a good job like a very detailed job of targeting multiple markets so for example um could alan dib be um you know a marketing expert with books and coaching and all of these different pieces but then let's say you expanded out into because of your it background into a specific area of technology yeah you know that maybe isn't related to marketing let's say it's let's say it's deploying infrastructure um, to the cloud, yes, and be seen as to be seen as an expert in those two areas. You have products that are very specifically designed for those two areas, mm. but it's coming from the same person. Do you think? Do you feel like people need to pick a side, or can they be both? I, I think what you can do can have a lot of depth. And like, for, for example, I'll use myself as an example as well. So, um, so with my coaching clients, I talk about uh, I talk about hiring. I talk about uh, people culture. I talk about uh, marketing. I talk about technology. There's a lot of depth to to what we do. But publicly, when I'm on a podcast like this, when I'm speaking from stage on my website, I really talk about only one thing. I talk about how to get clarity around your marketing with a marketing plan. I'm the marketing plan guy, right? So, so I've taken one of my best hooks and I I run with that. Um, and you know, probably for the next decade, I'll just be talking about creating marketing plans. Um, and so, uh, what I talk about from a public perspective and from an advertising perspective, and you know, when I run ads, I talk about the one-page marketing plan. When I run campaigns, we talk about uh, either giving away the book or something like that. So. Really, I'm the one-page marketing plan guy. But when I start working with someone, there's a lot more depth to to what I do over and above that. And I think uh, that's a great way to start to really say, what's my best hook that I can go to the market with? What can I be famous for? And yes, of course, you, you can have a lot of depth to what you do. You can do cloud, you can do on-premises, you can do all sorts of stuff. Um, but you know, from a marketing perspective, you've got limited firepower. And when I say firepower, I mean uh, money in terms of budget, I mean time and energy. And, and so you want to really focus your firepower very, very precisely rather than have a scattergun approach where you just uh, try all try sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, try to build things to people. Exactly. Yeah, no, that makes sense. 
So, so kind of moving down the funnel a little bit, you do your advertising, you offer a, an interesting uh, a webinar or a lead magnet or something of some description. Someone signs up and then they start, you, you know, now they enter into your email. Yes. What, what do you think, again, are the, are the key mistakes that people make here when it comes to email nurture, whether it's the kind of content they send or how often they send it? Those yeah. Um, often I find um, you sign up to someone's list and it's it's basically you get spammed with a lot of sales uh, stuff. And I'm not saying it's it's bad to, to try and sell people, but um, the approach that I take is someone's giving me their email address and, you know, I view that email address that they've given me as something that's worth maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 dollars right so they've trusted me they've entrusted me with let's say 20 or 30 dollars of nominal value and um, I want to think of that I want to think of them being on my email list as them essentially buying a product so that they've purchased a product from me and so how can my free product be better than most people's paid and so what I do is I write it, the kind of value and the kind of stuff that that I would to a paid uh, membership. And yes, there's definitely commercial message that comes attached to that. But someone who never buys from me will get a lot of value from just being on my mailing list. And so that's the way that I view it. I view my mailing list not as something that I can just uh, spam. Um, I, I can create a lot of value for people who are on it. They will thank me for being on it. And in fact, if I don't mail, sometimes I'll get people saying, "Hey, how haven't heard from you for a while?" They want to, they want to hear f- from me. Now there is often a commercial message attached to that, and people who are ready to buy, they do. And in fact, my mailing list drives the vast majority of my uh, revenue. So yeah, I'm not saying you don't sell from a mailing list, but the way that you do that um, and doing it in a way that creates massive value, I think, is super important. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Do you think it's worth people um, building <clears throat> mailing lists even if they don't have a product yet? Definitely. I think it's even more important if you don't have a product yet. Um, it, it's. Um, uh, I think it's Seth Godin who, who was saying um, uh, do uh, sell stuff to your people rather than uh, finding people for your stuff. So, um, so <laughs> that I think that sense. building your audience, knowing who your people are, and then you're going to see who, where the gaps are, where things are, are not working or, or whatever else, and then filling those gaps. So find out who your people are, start building that list, that permission asset, and then, um, and then sell stuff to your, to your people. Hmm. So imagine somebody's kind of, they, they, they click on the ad, they watch the webinar, they start getting some really super valuable emails. Um, they're getting to know Alan Dib. They're getting to know the products, the services that you, well, they, they're certainly getting to know you. I guess my next question would be at what point and how would you generally recommend people introduce the product um, and then essentially get through to conversion? Do you think it's maybe dropping an email in there? I mean, I, I remember seeing uh, one uh, guy. Uh, yeah, I really, I really love weaving story into it. So when, when you can, when you can tell a story, I mean, the the human mind is wired for uh, responding to story, and you know, I've seen that so many times. But when I'm speaking from stage, you know, I'll be, you know, uh, speak speaking, and then when I start telling a story, you know, the phones go down, the tension kind of 
people um, people's attention uh, goes up and you can tell that people are now much more engaged and so I don't know for whatever reason the human mind is wired to receive stories so I like to weave um, products into story so uh, how can you tell a story around what you're doing story really sells very well Ah, interesting. Do you think the do you think that like one one thing the topic of email reminds me of is and I forget who it was, but this guy was giving um one of his techniques for um selling a you know selling a product so essentially saying there is a special a, a significant discount and it's going to end on Saturday. Yes. And then 7 days before that 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 you know, deadline, essentially sending a message a day out to his his list. It might be a segment within that list. Mm. But then when it gets down to the final day or so, he actually recommends sending six emails that day. And the first thing that struck me was that is just way too much. I remember joining somebody else's, another mm. marketing person's list one time, and he was sending me emails every day. And mm. um, I actually ended up unsubscribing. Most of it was sales email. And I sent mm. him a message and said, this is too much. This is mm. it's excessive. And it's actually, it's off-putting. What do you think in terms of frequency? Um, again, I think this is very context d- dependent. So if, if your audience has an expectation that uh, you're going to be uh, sending them uh, a lot of emails uh, or daily emails. And so some people, you know, I'm on some e- email lists where they do send daily, but they made that expectation pretty clear up front. And, and I think it depends on w- what you do. Um, so for example, I want to hear from my stockbroker three times a day because I want to know what happened in the morning session, the afternoon session, and then maybe his wrap up in the evening, right? Um, whereas yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really want to yeah. hear from my plumber three times a day, right? Once a month is plenty to, <laughs> That's from, plenty. you know, so um, yeah. so. It's kind of context dependent um, and what expectations you've created. So if you've created the expectation that this is a daily e- uh, email, maybe it's a news bulletin, whatever, or or even if it's a daily sales email or daily deal of the day or whatever, uh, making it clear um, it's when it's a surprise that it's a problem. You know, when somebody's surprised by, six, wow, uh, I thought I was going to get an email once a month and I'm getting six a day, right? So that's when it becomes a problem. It's a great point. Context and setting expectations really is everything, isn't it? Yes. Um, so switching gears a little bit, um, I mean, you you do a lot of teaching, right? Whether it's your book, yes. whether it's your yes. course, whether it's as a coach. Uh, you've, there'll be a, a bunch of people listening to this who um, are either consultants or they're teachers um, or they're leaders. What have been the key things that you've learned over the years in terms of how to teach effectively? And I'd love you to kind of break it into kind of the different domains, whether it's teaching in an online course, or whether it's teaching in, a, in an in-person masterclass style coaching session, yeah. or teaching people as a, as, a, as a general kind of week-to-week uh, or month-to-month coach. What would you say some of the key le- things that you've learned over the years? The key thing that I've learned is the, the market uh, rewards people who will uh, clarify, uh, who will clarify the complex, who make the complex simple. So if you can make the complex simple, and you know, I think I've tried to do that with my book. I certainly try to do that with my course and my coaching. If you can make the complex simple, 
the market will reward you very handsomely for that. They will pay you very well to, to do that because there's so much complexity in our world. And so um, I, I found that nothing pays more than making the complex simple. So if you can be that filter for people who takes a complex uh topic or a complex subject and really simplifies it, maybe simplifying it in concept, simplifying it in language, simplifying it in delivery or execution, um, people will pay you a lot of money for that. Um, and, and I think w whether it's an online course, whether it's something that you deliver in person, really thinking through um, that person's experience, because, um, you know, I've heard it said that a confused mind says no, and they'll, they might be said, they might be saying no to your offer, to buying something from you, to dealing with you, to working further with you. So, uh, uh, you know, just understanding that a confused mind says no. So your job as someone who's in, in a teaching capacity is to make the complex simple. That's what you get paid for. And if you can do that well, you'll be paid very well. I love that. I love that. I guess it. <clears throat> the tricky thing here is that it kind of it then begs the question, sim simple, I was going to say versus, but I don't think it is versus. I think it's simple and comprehensive. There are, I think, people who mm. um, will strive for being as comprehensive as possible and offering the most possible value, but then it ups the complexity factor there. Do you have a sense of how you would guide them in that regard? Uh, yeah, so uh, I think almost anything can be simplified. Simpl sim and by the way, simplified doesn't mean it's easy, right? The simple and easy are two, two different things. But simple is something that I can follow and I can understand if I if I follow your framework, if I follow your steps, if I follow your guidance, right? So, um, uh, so it's different to easy. So, um, so you really outlining here's where you start from step one, here is where you go to step two, here is what you do, and here are some examples. So really laying something out for someone, uh, essentially uh, essentially holding their hand and, and taking that journey, I think um, that, that is the best thing that you can do as a teacher. You know, when, when I remember back in school or, or back in, in university, the people who are the concepts that really stand out the most are the ones that were very simply clarified with, with examples, with steps, and the ones that that I don't even remember were ones that flew over my head because they were just too complex, uh, or maybe too complex for me at the time. So, um, I, I, I think you can um, you can separate the words simple and complex, and being being simple is where where it's really at. Yeah, no, fantastic. I, I could not agree more. So, the, the, Alan, it's been so wonderful to have you on here. Um, before we wrap up, why don't you tell everybody a little bit more about how they can find out more about you? I mean, obviously, I mentioned the book a number of times. So fabulous book. But tell us, share a little bit about the book and 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 your coaching and and the other things that you do. Yeah, so um, uh, you're all welcome to, to of course, get, get the book. It's on Amazon and everywhere that books are, are bought. Um, given that everyone's listening on audio, it's very, uh, it, it's got a very strong following on, on audio book format on audible.com. Um, uh, by all means, you can also um, uh, join my mailing list. 
uh, you can get grab a copy of the one-page marketing plan canvas for free on my website. So, and the website is successwise.com. And so, join the mailing list. See how um, uh, joining the conversations. Uh, see, get some of my content for free if you don't want to buy the book, or or just buy the book. <laughs> Yeah, wonderful. Well, Alan, I I love your approach. I love your honesty and your pragmatism. And it's been a real pleasure having you on here. Um, And thanks also to, uh, of course, to Douglas from the the Market Book Podcast for for connecting us. And uh, I'll, I'll talk to you sometime soon. Yeah, wonderful being on. Thanks very much for having me. 